Hi guys, I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. Welcome to the Goop Podcast. Every Thursday, Goop editors will be sitting down with provocative thinkers, industry disruptors, and culture changers. I'll take turns interviewing barrier-breaking guests as we talk about shifting old paradigms and starting new conversations. We have two guests today, Dr. Eben Alexander and Karen Newell. Academic neurosurgeon Dr. Eben Alexander spent decades as a physician and teacher at Harvard Medical School before he had a near-death experience that changed the course of his life. Most notably, it shifted his previously skeptical and dismissive stance of any chance that our self or spirit might not be fully reliant on a functioning body to exist. The brain does not create consciousness at all. Non-local consciousness like telepathy, remote viewing, out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, shared death experiences, which are the same but happen in physiologically normal people, as well as past life memories in children indicative of reincarnation, every bit of this scientific evidence demands a far grander description of our understanding of the world. Since his experience in 2008, he has shared his scientific exploration of the mind and consciousness in his best-selling books, including Proof of Heaven and Living in a Mindful Universe, which he co-wrote with Karen Newell. Karen is the co-founder of Sacred Acoustics and an innovator in sound meditation, Her work revolves around practices for exploring consciousness by using binaural beats to go within. There's a lot of science behind what goes on with the heart. There's a very powerful electromagnetic field that's connected to our our thoughts and emotions, and we can all manage this. And to me, if we can all start to manage that energy that is outside of the physical world, we all become more of who we are. Today, Elise Lunin, our chief content officer, talks with Eben and Karen about how we can all achieve a greater sense of connection. I think within a decade, no self-respecting scientific mind on Earth will still doubt the reality of the afterlife and of reincarnation. We'll be in a far bigger theater. After the conversation, I'll be doing a quick round of Ask Me Anything. If you've got a burning or totally random question you want me to answer, hit us up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. Now, let's get to Elise's conversation with Karen Newell and Dr. Eben Alexander. Dr. Alexander, will you kick us off? Can you explain the relationship between brain and consciousness and why it's such a struggle? Well, it's important to point out that um, our conventional scientific world is based um, on what's called physicalism, the notion that only the physical world exists. And you really have to go down to such fundamental assumptions about reality to even begin to understand brain and mind. Uh, And the reason is no human being has ever experienced anything other than the inside of their own consciousness. Uh, I spent 54 years of my life believing that brain produces consciousness because only the physical world exists, but I now know that uh, is impossible. Uh, My journey, my near-death experience, proved to me through the damage to my neocortex that uh, it was not the producer of consciousness at all. In fact, we are conscious in spite of our brain. So the uh, scientific model that's actually really um, 
racing forward and taking over that outmoded and untrue production model uh, is one of filter theory, which is that uh, consciousness itself is actually primordial. It's the, uh, the thing that exists and generates all the rest of the physical universe. And so the scientific world, especially in studying brain, mind, and consciousness, is now deeply into working with models of such a filter theory in better ways to understand uh, quantum physics and what that's telling us, because quantum physics has insisted for more than uh, 80 years that consciousness is fundamental in the universe. Uh, and so really we're at a point now where with a huge shift in understanding that the universe is much bigger than just that little physical universe that was supposed to produce consciousness out of the matter of the brain, we now just realize that we're discovering the laws of the natural world. It's not just about you know, some woo-woo uh, spirituality. This is just the way the natural world works. Uh, but the interesting thing is the, the filter theory and other modern concepts of consciousness open wide the door to the reality of not only the afterlife, but also of reincarnation. Hmm. And so on a very basic level, it's essentially this idea that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience or that we are consciousness having a physical experience. Is that like the easiest way to summarize versus the brain creating this world? I would say that we are uh, spiritual beings in a spiritual universe. In fact, the um, when you follow quantum physics most uh, deeply in the modern iterations of experiments, uh, it not only allows for the reality of consciousness in the spiritual realms, it insists on it. Uh, it's actually uh, demanding. Uh, and it really is the best way to look at it is that each and every one of us is one with the universe, and the universe is conscious. So each and every one of us is basically an eddy current of awareness, uh, and yet we're all really sharing one mind. One of the things that I loved about about the book is that you, Karen, just sort of intuitively like felt that this is true, right? Like you, your past couldn't be in some ways more different, right? Like as the scientist, neurosurgeon, struggling through these issues of the brain, and then you are like, well, isn't this obvious? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was obvious. In fact, when we first met, that's exactly what came up. I knew he had had a near-death experience, but I didn't know much about it. It was before his book had come out. But I knew people learned really deep spiritual lessons on their near-death experiences. So I asked him, you know, what did you learn? And he says to me, the brain doesn't create consciousness. And I thought, wow. And then I said, <laughs> why would anyone think that it does? Because it confused me. I didn't know that that was kind of the fulcrum of materialist science, that the consciousness arises from physical matter, which mm -hmm. is the brain. And I knew just from my own personal experience and all the reading I had done and really experience is the key. Once you start to have your own experiences, you realize that the physical world is just an illusion that we live in. But it's a very important illusion because we're all here to learn important lessons. And that consciousness that creates all of physical reality, as Eben says, is us. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's the most important thing that we need to learn about. Physics is important because we want to know how our physical world works, but I was much more interested in how our non-physical world works. And so I explored many, many ways to uh, get into that consciousness and, you know, do different breathing exercises. There's different kind of music, different kind of exercises, you know, physical exercise like Qigong. There's all kinds of visualizations you can do, hypnosis, um, self-hypnosis, breath work, uh, animal communication. 
meditation, astral travel, tele- telepathy. I've tried it all. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so many ways to get into these things. And what I learned is that we're all very unique. We all have different ways of getting into these states. And uh, so it's important to try for yourself all of these different techniques, you know, whether it's a float tank or, or just sitting quietly and, and watching your breath. These types of things can help you get in touch beyond that racing mind that we're all used to having, you know, when we try to maybe sit down and meditate. When you can get beyond all that, you reach the observer that Eben talks about in quantum mechanics. The observer is so key in how experimental results come out and that observer is us so it's interesting too like i i feel like you guys probably represent like the dichotomy in our world where you can can sort of take this and know that it's true inherently and you as a um as a doctor and a scientist are like how do i bring this community along like how do i how do you build enough evidence of proof like how how are how do you think that the medical world in particular can bridge these subjective and objective experiences of consciousness, and how does that inform the way that we heal? Well, I think the medical world is, is perfectly poised. Uh, it's interesting, the, uh, the most profound everyday example of the reality of mind over matter and the primacy of consciousness is the placebo effect. Placebo effect has been around for thousands of years, but it was formally defined, uh, say, in the 1950s. Uh, placebo effect is actually getting stronger over time. It's, it's really astonishing, and it's, it's not a minimal effect. It's gigantic. Ask Big Pharma what they think of placebo effect. They look at it as a horrible, horrible nemesis because every study they do trying to prove the efficacy of a drug uh, or a new uh, uh, procedure, uh, surgical procedure, often has to be compared to placebo. Uh, and that's because the medical profession acknowledges very strongly that placebo is very real. You have people with stage four cancer who actually believe they're doing something that'll make them better, uh, even though it might just be a sugar pill. In some cases, you can have disappearance of the cancer. Now, that's a real shocker, and it actually completely defies the conventional model of materialist science that is taught in medical schools. So it's interesting that right there in medicine, you have the best example of mind over matter and the fact that consciousness is primordial in the universe, and yet uh, doctors, uh, you know, in our formal training and in our schooling, resist uh, and go default to the simplistic and false views of materialist science. So I think it's really all about healing. Uh, in fact, I've come to realize that every single bit of what I say about consciousness involves, quote, healing, but that's when you look at healing as becoming more whole, more complete, who we are meant to be. So it's much about aligning with our meaning and purpose in our lives, coming to realize that the uh, thing, uh, imperfections like uh, illness and injury uh, in many ways are gifts. When I take that much bigger view that my NDE gave me, uh, those challenges and hardships in life are uh, the engines of our growth. It's how we face those difficulties that allows our souls to really grow and to become more one with the divine, which I believe is the reason we're all here. So uh, in essence, every bit of what we're talking about is healing and becoming more complete. Um, and do you think the focus, and obviously you, you write books, so your focus is probably, you probably can have two simultaneously, but that is empowering people to understand 
the power of their own consciousness and to harness it? Or is it to try to bring along like the industry or the, you know, the scientific world? It's really all the above. Um, And I mean, the, the fact of the matter is placebo effect shows that we each have tremendous power to influence our own health. Uh, and it just that's just the beginning, though, because far beyond just the events of our, uh, say, our health status are all the other events of our lives. But interestingly enough, uh, the conventional science that I worshipped before my coma would proudly tell you that no human being has free will. I mean, their notion is that consciousness is just the epiphenomenon uh, or side effect of uh, electron fluxes and chemical reactions in the brain. So where would you fit free will? What I've come to realize is the whole universe exists for uh, sentient beings to manifest that free will. And uh, so really all the events of our lives, and that especially includes difficult relationships, uh, the hardships I mentioned like illness and injury, but every bit of that is laid out to help us grow. And, and I think that's why it's so important because this is not just about is the afterlife real, is reincarnation real, but how does all of this help us live our lives to the fullest in the here and now? That's what's so important. And what do you think, Karen, like what, in your like pure sort of unfiltered view, like what is the greater, like what are we moving towards if we have this evolving consciousness? Is it just, are we just on this sort of rinse, repeat, hopefully get smarter cycle? Or what are we building towards? Well, I think we're building towards a complete, maybe not complete, but a better understanding that we are spiritual beings inhabiting a physical body. And I think the more we can learn about our continuing consciousness, here's the thing, our culture mostly thinks that it's birth to death and nothing more. And if we can realize the truth that no, our consciousness actually survives death, take religion out of it, our consciousness survives death, then what? If we can maintain a knowing of our awareness as we transition out of the physical body into the other realms, we are growing. And there's a lot of theories out there that say, you know, our consciousness is is con- a continuum. And in fact, before we come into a physical body, we're actually planning our hardships, planning our difficulties. So if we can gain more awareness of how all that really works, I think we can make our lives much more fruitful and satisfying by having a kind of a bigger picture understanding of our existence. Yeah. So... Sacred Acoustics, which is your company, and these binaural beats meditations, which are incredible and sort of can help people move into these intense meditative states. I'm assuming like astral projections. I know you guys are masterful at at probably getting there. What will be the scientific involvement that will allow us to then measure what's actually happening? I think it really depends on uh, what you're trying to do. I mean, if we're trying uh, to heal people of certain physical conditions, um, you know, how much power uh, does our mind actually have uh, to work in that kind of uh, setting? Are you assessing the power of prayer, for example, to uh, work in uh, various healing, either of self or of others? Um, And I think you really just have to look at at the uh, specific details. Uh, I mean, from our point of view, Uh, Really, all facets of life improve with the practice of going within. I use sacred acoustics tones for uh, deep meditation, centering prayer, an hour or two a day. Uh, and I find that uh, I think my all of my mental function and, and a lot of what I do in life is greatly enhanced. Creativity, your immune f- function, uh, 
you know, assessment of fixing one's blood pressure and other kind of stress level measures. There's so much that you can look at to, to see the benefits of meditation. Uh, and then, of course, uh, then you start getting into larger goals that people have, like connecting with souls of departed loved ones and that kind of thing. Um, and, and so I think it really depends on the details of what exactly you're trying to accomplish. But by and large, as we discuss in Living in a Mindful Universe, we feel that the benefits of meditation, of going within, which is actually when you realize uh, that the brain is not the producer of consciousness, but that it only is a filter that allows primordial kind of God consciousness in, then you realize that going within consciousness is actually a way of going out into the consciousness of the universe, that primordial mind. Uh, and that's where I think we can gain so much more power. That's where we can manifest that heart resonance of connection with other beings um, and through both uh, encountering souls of departed loved ones as well as uh, working through uh, higher souls of others with whom, in whom we may be in some kind of conflict or, or arrangement right now that we're trying to improve on. Going deep within, I think, is a good way to accomplish that. And it's amazing how as you start doing more and more of that, you start witnessing these kind of benefits coming into your life. And do you just want to live there? I mean, I, you guys must have the most fascinating conversa- dinnertime conversations. Like, I, do you just – I know your the description of your NDE was so beautiful and – you know, other people who've experienced NDEs and like that longing to stay there. Like, do you feel like it's harder to even, do you not just want to like live in your consciousness? I was originally attracted to binaural beats because I wanted to duplicate my meningitis. And, And what happened in the meningitis that was so strange was that as my neocortex was demonstrably destroyed by this bacterium, my doctors documented through my neurologic exams, scans, lab values, et cetera, how completely decimated my neocortex was. And that's the part that, you know, uh, science would say is responsible for all the details of conscious awareness. So how come when I destroy my neocortex, I actually have a far greater conscious awareness than I've ever had before? And that's because it's it's, uh, really a prison. We're conscious in spite of our brain. And this is just a way of getting into a far broader relationship with kind of the mental function of the universe. And it's all interconnected. So I think that's the beauty of it. But most important is to remember the important thing is this world, mm-hmm. this world that we live in and these lives that we're living. It's crucial to understand the reality of the afterlife, but that's not where we dwell, and that's not why the universe exists. The universe exists for this world, this world that has its apparent imperfections. As I said when I first came out of coma, all is well. And what that means is you just need a big enough perspective. And going within can give you that big perspective because of the little words in my head, the voice of my ego, the linguistic brain is not my consciousness. You know, we're, we all buy into that so much, like I am these thoughts in my head. That's little more than your annoying roommate. We're talking about the observer. The observer is far, far grander than that. The observer is what you reunite with at physical death. That's what near-death experiencers have been telling us about for thousands of years. And so this is really about developing that relationship much more fully. And so is the goal ultimately like when having this expanded perspective and then you come back and you think about all the suffering in the world and are we going to have a nuclear holocaust and all of the stuff going on? Like what's the greater perspective that we're just like working through this stuff? They're all soul lessons. 
That yeah, exactly that. The hardships in our lives are exactly the engines for our soul growth. Look, look back at your life. You know, it helps when you're a little older, but you can look back because when you're having these experiences, you don't usually understand how they're helping you. But when you can look back at them and you realize, oh my gosh, if that firing or whatever it may have been hadn't happened, I wouldn't have had X, some type of very important growth. And so every one of our hardships is there to present us challenges. And, you know, every time we have such a hardship, we we make a choice of how to respond to that hardship. And so that's what we're talking about. If you can kind of step back and see that bigger picture, it makes it much easier to understand why these things are going on. And when you can practice establishing that neutral state, very important to do that because the fear that we all can get into, you know, the fear that when we watch the news of what could happen to our world, that doesn't help us. You know, wallowing in that kind of fear and negativity, if you realize your consciousness is helping to create unfolding reality, then if you're living in fear all the time, it's not such a, a great contribution to the to the whole. And so the more we can kind of get neutral, A, you can see that bigger picture, and B, you can rise above that fear into that neutral space. And that is absolutely a very key practice of any kind of meditative practice, is being able to find that neutral space above all of the kind of emotional reality active kind of things we're in every day. I even say that, um, you know, with enough practice, you could potentially be in an emotional argument with someone. And in that moment, you could enact your observer kind of simultaneously and realize, oh my gosh, I could say this and everything would change. You say that and the whole thing changes. And I've had that happen for myself. It's unbelievable when you can get there and you can kind of watch yourself have these emotional reactions, but at the same time be making choices about your next steps. And it's actually quite useful as, as a daily kind of practice. Let's say we all can get to that state, right, of this expanded consciousness. Like how, what does the world then, what does it look like? Wow. Well, I like to, you know, we sometimes get asked, what does a heart-centered world look like? Yeah. And so I would just equate that with heart-centered. We're not, you know, working from our, our, just our thoughts, our brains, our rational mind, but we're working from more the intuitive kind of greater person that we are. And to me, a heart-centered world is one in which every person on the planet, everyone, no matter what your political persuasion, your race, your age, or anything, you're actually going in every single day, checking in with that heart space. This is not your thoughts. This is not your linguistic mind. This is your feeling state, your hopefully calm state. Checking in with that and feeling that energy. There's a lot of science behind what goes on with the heart. There's a very powerful electromagnetic field that's connected to our our thoughts and emotions, and we can all manage this. And to me, if we can all start to manage that energy that is outside of the physical world, we all become more of who we are. We become more of what we came here to be. We find our purpose. We live our purpose. And when everyone's living their purpose, part of uh, knowing your heart is becoming more intuitive. So let's say we can all know what each other's really thinking. You know, that would be a completely different world if we couldn't lie to each other. I mean, just imagine. The imagination is everything. Einstein even said that. Knowledge is nothing. Imagination is everything. 
what we do with our imaginations is sky's the limit. That's how we get inventions, innovations. Um, all of us have the ability to tap into that and get inspired. And the more we can each bring our unique gift to the world, the more I think we can really reach what humanity is really here to experience together. And that's love. Love. Good job. <laughs> that is the correct answer. <laughs> I passed the test. You passed the test. And I think it's important to point out, though, that um, that is the lesson that humanity has been charged to learn for the last 5,000 years. And no, humanity has not really grokked that to the level of being able to live that love because unconditional love has infinite power to heal. Uh, and that's something that Karen and I often cover deeply in our workshops uh, about exploring heart consciousness, uh, but also in, in realizing that all the choices that we make in life, uh, we can make those choices out of love and the higher good, or we can make those choices out of fear and anxiety and other bases. But uh, the reality is, and I guess you can understand, is given the big answer to the question, yes, love is absolutely it. And the more we explore and express that unconditional love, uh, not only for our neighbors and our enemies, but especially for ourselves. After my coma, I came to realize that the vast majority of the world's problems are that we don't even love ourselves enough. And I don't mean some egocentric or greedy love for self, selfish love, but actually uh, a very grand love that's worthy of the spiritual beings that we are, that are directly connected with that divine source of all creation in the universe. Uh, and it's by recovering that sense of kind of grand scope, meaning, and purpose uh, to our identity uh, and expressing all of our choices out of that love for self and others that this world will absolutely shift to a higher vibration. We'll have more of Elise's conversation with Eben and Karen in a minute. In the meantime, let's talk about one of our partners. For a lot of busy adults, the idea of a home-cooked meal is pure fantasy. Even those of us with the best intentions can't find spare 20 minutes at the end of the day to put something together. And that's where Freshly comes in. It's a meal delivery service prepared by chefs, offering breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it's all prepared with no refined sugars, artificial preservatives, or hydrogenated oils. They also have a lot of gluten-free and virtuous options, so you won't feel overstuffed. Even their indulgent chicken parm is served with a side of broccoli. Essentially, the way it works is that you sign up, pick the number of meals you'd like each week, and then they make it all to order. It's pre-portioned and then shipped. All you have to do is pop it into the microwave and you're good to go. So for the time-starved amongst us, it's a great way to skip lunchtime takeout or at least put a nice meal on the table at dinner. Go to Freshly.com Goop to get $25 off your first order of six meals. That's $25 off plus free shipping at Freshly.com Goop. Okay, let's get back to our chat with Karen Newell and Dr. Eben Alexander. And it feels like, it seems like we're shifting. Um, do you feel like we're in the middle of something or anticipating something or that there, what do you think that, what does that breakthrough look like? Well, I believe we are on the verge of the greatest shift in human thought in all of recorded human history. This will make the Copernican Revolution look like child's play. Uh, and it's uh, something that I believe is imminent within the next decade or so. Uh, I don't think it's going to take a lot longer than that to push the mainstream into a new mode of think thinking. 
But the important thing to point out is it's none too soon. Uh, we've kind of painted ourselves in a corner. We need to take responsibility for this planet. And uh, I often talk about how uh, in the 20th century, we basically saw the kind of divorce between science and technology and the human spirit. Uh, and we got to see all those successes of science, but they included things like chemists developing poison gases and high explosives for World War I and physicists creating uh, nuclear weapons for World War II. Now, if uh, we ever have a World War III, I'm sure World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. So we really don't have an option but to wake up. And I believe that all that we see um, is uh, exactly that. And I would say it's the culmination not just of a few years or decades of hard work of understanding, but of 5,000 years and a, and a coalescence of the greatest wisdom out of spiritual traditions, both East and West, as well as the leading edges of cosmology and quantum physics today in trying to understand the, the relationship between brain and mind. So, and just going back to your first book, Proof of Heaven, do you think that there will be proof of this like energetic world? Of this, like Absolutely. I think that the proof is already there. In fact, the proof is overwhelming, but you do have to look at it. Uh, and there are a number of scientists in this world who claim to be you know, open-minded scientists, but they've never even studied the evidence for this because it doesn't fit the physicalist model. They simply say, why waste my time on the evidence? That's kind of how I was before my coma. My patients could tell me about these adventures, but I thought the brain creates consciousness, so who cares what hallucinations the dying brain has on the way out? Big deal. Uh, but no, when you study the evidence, it is absolutely overwhelming. People often ask me, what do your skeptical scientific colleagues think about your story? Well, in fact, really, the scientific opinions on my story are very supportive. And that's from scientists who realize the mind-body discussion is wide open for real answers. The brain does not create consciousness at all. Non-local consciousness, like telepathy, remote viewing, out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, shared death experiences, which are the same, but happen in physiologically normal people, as well as past life memories in children, indicative of reincarnation. Every bit of this scientific evidence demands a far grander description of our understanding of the world. I think within a decade, no self-respecting scientific mind on Earth will still doubt the reality of the afterlife and of reincarnation. We'll be in a far bigger theater. And also, important to point out, that as this, uh, humankind begins to discover that it's no longer a question of whether you want to believe in that and whether it occurs, but let's pay attention to the evidence there's no denying that every one of us will have a life review. Every one of us will reunite with our higher souls and with our soul groups and will then plan our next incarnations, hopefully to get it better next time. So we need to pay attention to the details and the scientific understanding because it's crucial to each and every human being to live their lives as if they are a spiritual being where love binds us all together because we'll reap what we sow. Thanks for joining our conversation with Karen Newell and Dr. Eben Alexander. I love Karen's idea of a heart-centered world and found Eben's wake-up call pretty compelling. You can see more of what they're up to at sacredacoustics.com and ebenalexander.com. You can also learn more about their work and binaural beats at goop.com slash the podcast. Now it's time for this week's Ask Me Anything.
How many languages do you speak? And what do you think is the best way to learn a new language as an adult? Asks a bit lovely. Well, I think I technically speak English. And I think if somebody heard me speak Spanish, they would think I was fluent. But I make a lot of grammatical mistakes. I speak enough French to chat and get by, although I couldn't have a real political conversation in French. And I used to have a little bit of facility with Italian, but unfortunately, it's, it's somewhere down dark in the recesses of my brain. I think the best way to learn a new language is probably to do some kind of an immersive experience. I use an app called Duolingo to brush up on my French before I go to France. I think it's a pretty good app, actually. Have a question? Drop us a line at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. That's it for this week's episode of the Goop Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and share with your friends. To keep up with new episodes, just hit subscribe. And for more info, head over to goop.com slash the podcast. See you next week.